What's up, Bike Rumor fans? On this episode, we are talking with two folks from Envy who are responsible for team testing and product testing and also in-house. Uh, you know what? I'm thinking, Jake, you used to be kind of my PR contact, but let's start with you. What's Jake Pantone? What is your official title now? Uh, right. So, yeah, they, I replaced myself with a better version. That's Neil <laughs> as far as the, the PR uh, side of things go. But um, currently, I'm... Uh, Filling the position is VP of product and brand, basically. So overseeing the product pipeline and, uh, you know, our brand's position in the world. Right on. All right. And Neil Shirley, for people who don't know you, what's your claim to fame and title there? Uh, my title is Influence Marketing Manager. So that kind of uh, incorporates a lot of different things. Um, one of them being working with, working with all of our sponsor teams and athletes, which kind of you know, help lead us to uh, this show. Yeah. So let's give people a little taste of things to come here. We're going to talk about how you've been testing some wheels, in particular tubeless wheels, with the NTT Pro Cycling team and convincing them to switch to tubeless over tubulars for some of the cobbled classics leading up to and including the Paris-Roubaix. And um, then we're going to after we kind of talk about that, because I feel like there's a big story there, but then also we're going to talk, uh, Jake's going to chime in a little bit more on some of the, the product and design and tech side, because, you know, a lot of things are moving to hookless designs and even some road wheels now. So I think there's, at least for me, there's a real curiosity as to how that type of design will handle higher pressures, even though road tires are seem to be coming down in pressure for a lot of people. But let's, uh, let's, pause on that one for a second and get into this team testing thing. So Neil, you had mentioned you were just over in France testing tubeless tires back to back with tubulars with the NTT team. How'd that go? Yeah. So, um, as you mentioned, we're in, you know, Northern France, like home to, you know, just a handful of kilometers from the town of Roubaix and the, the famous, you know, Roubaix Velodrome where Perry Roubaix finishes. So in that, in that area where we were a lot of farming fields and all the best cobbled, cobbled roads, you know, that, that are famous from, you know, from Roubaix and some of the other one day classics. Um, so we were over there, uh, with NTT, uh, BMC bikes was there, Vittoria was there as well. And this, this test was really about, finding, having the riders find what they thought would be absolutely the best um, product for them to ride for Roubaix. So there, they had a handful of different BMC bike models, um, some different Vittoria tire options, and then a few different Envy wheel sets. So the team's currently been racing on, for the last few years, the 4.5 AR, which is which is the wheel that we developed around the team for specifically for Perry Roubaix to have an aerodynamic advantage over a high with a high volume tire. Um, so we also brought in 3.4 AR in tubeless and 4.5 AR in tubeless. And kind of going into it, there there was never a goal of making of getting the riders necessarily on tubeless it was providing them everything they needed to test to make the best decision i want to um, clarify so the 4.5 ars that they were riding in the past those were tubulars correct okay yep 
So this was, for these guys, was this the first time they've really tried tubeless on, you know, a potential race course where they're going for the gold, so to speak? Yeah, so with the team, they've um, they've used tubeless a little bit um, for time trialing um, because uh, anyone that's familiar with, with pro racing knows that, I mean, tubular tires have been absolutely the go-to for the last 100 years for for cycling team, you know, pro cycling, um, clinchers, uh, you know, they're a more relatively newer entry. And then tubeless again is, is something much, much newer. And these mechanics are, they're so much, much more comfortable in gluing a tire on a rim than they are taping a rim and, and, you know, dealing with sealant and putting on tubeless. So tubular has always been the go-to, um, so getting them to ride tubeless, this, this was the first time that they had ridden tubeless um, with the thought of using it for uh, in, a, in a road race. Um, so it was this kind of whole new, whole new way of thinking about a tire technology. Right. I'm kind of curious, like why was time trial the first place that these guys would use tubeless? Well, because I think the you know, the rolling resistance, the data shows how much more efficient a tubeless tire is, um, lower rolling resistance than a tubular. And so that was the first, that was kind of the easy entry for them to look for um, a performance advantage. But then uh, I think because of lack of, lack of experience with tubeless, um, there's always, there's the worries of tire retention on the rim if there's a flat tire. Um, so there just wasn't a lot of confidence around the system. And I think with, with time trial, it's uh, time trialing, uh, it's such a kind of a controlled setting compared to road racing. Okay. All right. So you get these guys to go back to back between tubulars, tubeless, and even a couple of different rim depths. What was the outcome? What happened? Um, by the end of the second day, so it was two full days of testing. And by the end of the second day, uh, by, I think the second day was really after day one, riders liked the feel of, of tubeless. They noticed the difference on the smooth, on the smooth tarmac, the efficiency, how quickly it reaccelerated, um, and then through playing with tire pressure and getting that really dialed on the cobbles, end of the second day, both their two riders, Edvald um, Bosenhagen and Michael Gogol, who would be the protected riders for the team at Perry-Roubaix, they were both sold on the benefits of tubeless. So it, it was somewhat a surprise with how well it was received in a way, um, but it was a very positive one. Cool. Well, who was more surprised, them or you? <laughs> That's a good question, actually. Um, Edvold Bosenhagen, actually, his his comment that that really stands out is like, uh, you know, if tubeless feels this good, why aren't we using it all the time? And I was like, that. That's a powerful statement. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, I'm curious with the tires and stuff, were they like, was it apples to apples in terms of tire width or were the tubeless a little bit wider than the tubulars? So, um, the, the tubulars, the, the, they're both 
tubeless and tubular were Vittoria Corsa tires. So basically the, the rubber compound um, and the carcass construction is apple apples. So the, the tires themselves um, were consistent between tubular and tubeless. Um, tire width for the tubulars that they were testing, they were 30s. Um, the tubeless tires, they're 28s, but on the, on the 3.4 AR and the 4.5 AR rim, which have, they have a 25 millimeter internal width, those tires would actually measure out to just over 30. So they were very, very similar. Um, if you measured them with calipers on the rim, they were essentially the same width. Okay. Do you guys have a way of figuring out like internal volume? Because, you know, with the tubular, it's pretty well a circle and you can, I, I would imagine that's much easier to figure out, but with a, a clencher, you have whatever the shape of the rim cavity and, you know, the tire bed there is like, can you tell what overall volume comparison is between the two? Uh, yeah, for sure. We can run the calculations of the internal rim volume. Um, paired with the measurements of the tire and come up with a pretty, pretty accurate uh, idea of what the volume differences are between the two. I don't have any of those measurements per se on me right now, but it's definitely something we're capable of doing. Is it? Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Is it? I, I mean, my hunch would be the tube list would be bigger volume only because you have more of a, a channel down in there, but is it? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what were the tire pressure differences between the tubeless and tubular? Um, so, uh, the, basically just to back up a little bit, we started with the tubeless, um, uh, the very, very high end, basically above what we knew they would ever be running, which was probably around 70 PSI. And then each lap, each lap was about a one kilometer cobble sector followed by a kilometer kilometer and a half of smooth pave so they kind of got a they got to feel the balance between the cobbles and then the smooth the smooth road um so as we started going down in pressure uh we went all the way down um bosenhagen went down to about 36 psi in the front and that found the lower the lower limit and then he's like okay this is this is the point where the tire just feels squishy and it's not it's not supporting him and um then we went up about i think we netted out around eight psi higher than that um which was a little bit lower than what they would what they would comfortably be using on the tubulars just because they felt that the tubular at, at that pressure as much as they liked the feel of it on the cobbles, um, it just felt so inefficient on the pavement, on the smooth roads. So a little bit lower on the tubeless um, while still kind of maintaining that quicker feel on the smooth road. So somewhere around 40, low 40s is where they ended up. Yeah. Okay. What, um, how much do these guys weigh? Cause like I weigh about 185 before I get any kit on and those tire pressures would probably, I would just be rolling on the rim, I think. <laughs> but, um, the, so yeah, Boston Hoggins probably 160 range would be my guess. Michael Gogol, um, again, he's taller, but he's, you know, 
he's got the professional cyclist build. So he's, <laughs> you know, um, I would say he's kind of in that 160, 165 um, range as well. Okay. Right on. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I mean, I think they're figuring out what the rest of us have figured out. The, the non-pros amongst us have figured out for a while now is that, you know, a little bit wider tire, lower pressure tube is just kind of the way to go. Um, so did you have, were there any, you know, burps or sealant leaks or any issues with setup that kind of gave them pause or was it kind of smooth sailing? Yeah. You know, any time that you introduce tubeless to, to an audience, you know, and it's uh, the audience meaning kind of the mechanics. And I kind of look at it the same as we do, you know, when we introduce, tubeless to our consumers where there isn't experience with it yet. There is going to be, there's, there's a, there's a transition in learning how you, you know, how you tape the rim to ensure that it's an airtight seal. Um, how you use the inner channel of the rim to be able to properly install or take off a tire. Um, just some of these, these, steps that are pretty simple after you you have experience with tubeless but for the first time users um there can be some hassles until you figure that out so really a lot of it you know we spent the first few hours just working with the mechanics on how they're going to be able to set these wheels up and maintain them so that they have confidence in the system right hey so refresh my memory when envy wheels ship out they come untaped with a roll of tape in the box correct correct okay so were you guys sending these along um unta- just like that like untaped with the envy yeah. tape for them to use yeah so exactly we ship wheels um to the team that are the same exact that you know that someone can go into our retailer and buy or buy on envy.com and so yeah they get it the same way where they have they tape up the rims themselves install the valve the valve stem um so so yeah just just making sure they you know the mechanics are clear on cleaning the you know cleaning the rim surface installing the tape um and just how kind of critical some of those steps are to ensuring a proper seal all right okay so into as far as the riders impressions and everything goes were you guys timing the sections and were able to show them, hey, you're faster at this pressure and this setup and blah blah blah, or was it purely based on how they felt? It was. This was purely based on how they felt. Did you guys time them? I'm kind of curious. Like, if you figured um, out, like, no. were they faster at a different setup than what they preferred, or? Um, we didn't. We didn't do any timing in this testing, and this was this was the rid, the initial test. Um, to kind of get familiarize them with the equipment, make some bigger equipment decisions. And then there are going to be additional test sessions, I think. And that's probably where we're going to be seeing more optimized tire pressures really to ensure that going closer as we get to Paris-Roubaix, um, there'll be some other decisions. But one of the things that they came away with it uh, after this two-day test camp was that they immediately wanted to start racing with tubeless. So this wasn't something like, okay, we're going to shelve tubeless. That was great. We're going to shelve it until Roubaix and then we get back on it again. Um, so essentially as soon as we left that test camp, they were riders, riders were getting familiar with it. 
racing with it and not just on the cobbled classics um they actually went down um and put it on the you know th the ses 3.4 disc wheels and 5.6 disc wheels with 25c tubeless tires so they're using tubeless in a lot of different races now and so far the feedback's been been really positive cool um, for the cobble races and stuff, where did they end up? Are they going with the four or fives or the um, three fours? Yeah, they like the they like the four or five AR. Um, the difference, you know, the difference in aerodynamics, especially the speed. I mean, if you look at the average winning speed of Roubaix the last handful of years, it's about twenty seven miles an hour. Um, you know, uh, which aerodynamics is a is a big deal and and also you know for their bike selection they went with an aero frame rather than what would have a handful of years ago maybe been the more traditional perry roubaix bike approach mm -hmm. um so it it really is i mean it's a fast race where efficiency is really really important uh, i feel like we need to back up a second for the non-super fans out there and like i don't even know so you're going to educate me on this Perry Roubaix, like what percentage of what's the total distance of that race, and what percentage of it is actually raced on like some sort of cobble or dirt or rough road? Um, so the total distance of it, I think, is about 150 miles total. Yeah. Um, and then, so I think out of that, probably 30 miles of it is on is on cobbles. Okay. So a, a relatively small percentage but what you need to do you have to survive those cobbles in terms of one not flatting right. or um and then just making sure that your body is not completely abused um but looking looking elsewhere you know you have to be you have to be aerodynamically efficient everywhere else so it's really kind of perfecting that that balance and equipment. And I think one thing that was notable too, the, that the riders liked and the mechanics with tubeless versus tubular is that your tubeless tire is not going to lose air from, it's not going to seep air, you know, air pressure from a latex tube, like a tubular tire would. So a lot of times, some of these longer races where they're setting up their tubulars, they have a, an equation where five hours or four hours from the start, it's going to be at X pressure. And so mm -hmm. they're trying to time it to have that optimal pressure when they really need it with tubeless. You can kind of set it up or you can set it up with the exact pressure you want and not have to worry about losing, losing pressure throughout the day. Yeah, that's cool. All right. So for normal mortals like myself, who's average, is approximately 10 miles per hour slower than that 27 for that race, which is insane. <laughs> um, my hunch would be the shallower, like the three fours or something on a rough road would be better. Like do shallower wheels have like a little bit better, like radial compliance than the taller ones? Like what's going to be a more comfortable wheel that's, you know, for all intents and purposes, just as fast for the average rider. Neil's staring at me. <laughs> no, uh, it's a there's a there's a couple different ways to skin the cat. I think the number one 
priority regardless of the rim depth you're on is to get your tire pressure dialed and right. I mean, you so much of the ultimate comfort of the wheel set is really determined by the tire pressure you're running. Um, one of the things that's really neat about the 3.4, for example, is it has a, a little bit wider, uh, it has basically a version of our wide hookless bead technology, which is just a wider leading edge at the front of the rim, which makes it more, it reduces the likelihood of pinch flatting just because it has a greater surface area to dissipate impact energy across. And so um, from that standpoint, you can sort of get away with running a little bit less pressure with, um, without risking sort of the pinch flat scenario on that 3.4 versus the 4.5. But from a rim shape in general, yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot we can do with the laminate itself to define the comfort of a rim. And it, it generally speaking, um, yeah, a 3.4 is going to have a, be a more compliant rim just based on its ability to flex versus the deeper, deeper section wheel. But we're really trying to shoot for a similar level of uh, comfort between the two, but ultimately, yeah, the, the shallower wheel theoretically is going to be your more comfortable option hmm. nine times out of 10. So, right on. So this is, we're going to go off the rails a little bit because this is actually a question I've been wondering for quite some time and I just haven't had the opportunity to ask. So now that I have you here, um, you know, we get like size specific frame layups in bikes and stuff where a smaller, lighter rider is going to get theoretically a, you know, a little more comfortable compliant frame to match their, you know, theoretical power output and weight and all that. But I don't ever see that with carbon rims. And, you know, like I'm taller and bigger than my editor, Zach, who a lot of times complains that the carbon rims just feel too stiff for him. So, like, what's the, is there any market or intention of doing like, rider specific carbon rims because i imagine it's not just a weight difference between like zach and i but it's also you know like what these pros are doing to the wheels is far more intense than what i'm going to ever do to these wheels so i feel like i could end up with probably a lighter better more comfortable wheel than what those you know the pros would need but like is is that even feasible from a, a business standpoint I mean, <laughs> there's, yeah, yes, it's, it's really coming. It's really, I mean, you kind of said it all in there, right? It's like, if, so if you're looking at it from a business standpoint, you know, what is the metric you go off of? Do you go off of just the rider's weight? Um, because that's something you can do. You can design around weight, but then what we've seen, and we've, we've certainly played around with a lot of different weight laminates. And ultimately I think what we've, what always wins and the reason we don't have that is because we've found that you can have a for example like you're saying a very light rider who's very aggressive um or has a certain pre preference for how a rim fills and the within this office even so we can have like a 150 pound guy that's you know a full-on road racer guy and we have you know we can have another guy that's 225 pounds um who's, you know, a bigger guy, not a racer, but rides a lot. And those two guys both end up picking the same rim as their favorite uh, on many different occasions. Like that's not just a uh, sort of a one-off sort of scenario. Um, and then the other situation we found is where you, you do make that lighter rim, that rim that on paper in theory should be the better of choice for the really light rider. Um, 
but then based on the fact that you've refined it so much, you sort of end up giving away uh, maybe some durability and strength. And, you know, the the bigger guy is going slower, so he hits the pothole. The littler guy is going faster, he hits the pothole. The impact, the damage ends up being that the 150-pound guy breaks the rim more often than the 200-pound guy breaks the rim. Um, so it's really like, how do you commercialize that sort of customization for each rider? And that's where it gets really complicated and ultimately why uh, you just don't see that in the world because really it comes down to like, we're we're taking, we're doing test riding, we're developing. Um, so, so I guess in short, it's we're making the rims as light as light and refined as possible um, with the comfortable margin of safety built into them to ensure that uh, whether you're a big guy going slower or a really light guy going really fast or somewhere in between that no matter who hits the pothole or whatever that the rim strength is going to be uh, sufficient without overly you know without without compromising you know a ride quality metric for, per se so it's just it's just not a simple it's just not as simple as you know for riders this weight or this aggression we could do this laminate um it's just a little more complicated than that i think is what it really comes down to yeah i imagine that's you'd a have... really long convoluted circuitous <laughs> right. answer i know but it's kind of <laughs> the nature of that question and that beast <laughs> yeah well i think i mean if you're doing super high volumes of all of it it might make sense from an economic standpoint too but you know there's a lot of cost and r&d to come up with different layups for everything but um well, you know, it's also, it's like, yeah, we can do that. We can certainly, I mean, we used to, I don't know if you remember like way back in the day, we used to have our 1.0 and 2.0 laminates. No, I don't. Um, yeah. So in the very original days we had that, which was basically like the 2.0 laminate was a heavier rim that, uh, it was no a heavier. Rim that, well, yeah, no, there was an element. It was a heavier rim. We sort of marketed it said like, this is kind of your Clydesdale rim. This is your sprinters rim. This is for your, um, you know, the big guys and the sprinters and the strong guys. And then we had the ultralight, which was the 1.0. And there was an element that, yeah, about regardless of what you said about that heavier rim, about 85 to 90% of the people still ended up buying the lighter one. Um, and then it's sort of that, that the other parts, the disconnect between like what somebody perceives as their riding ability. Um, and so when you're, like I said back earlier, you can't just do it off of weight because you can have, you, we had plenty of big guys that were riding the ultralight wheels with zero sort of braking or failures or issues. And then you have a light guy that's out there, you know, smashing the 2.0 just based on how they ride or what they're doing. You know, back then he was probably doing cyclocross on it, but it's just, it's just not a simple, um, it's just not a simple solution. You sort of have to go into like a full custom thing, which you can do like on a frame, right? It's like, tell us everything about you. Here's a full questionnaire. And it's sort of building one-off kind of one-off kind of rims versus sort of saying, here's two, here's a light and here's a heavy. And oftentimes people just end up uh, getting the wrong rim for the, for what they really need. Hmm. So we've simplified it by <laughs> simplified our lives and our consumers lives by making the absolute best room we can that we know is going to uh, work for everyone yeah. to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah. I guess custom rims are probably, a little bit out of the question or they would just be so prohibitively expensive yeah I mean, there, there's there's a lot of reasons and it's not to say that in some future date don't, don't get me wrong we certainly talk about it all the time but it's just 
yeah, when it comes down to like, is somebody willing to bear the price of that really is going to cost to get them a truly custom rim? Or are you just doing like a, you know, like air quotes custom where it's like, you know, there's really only two or three laminates, but they get a pick between, you know, based on like a question or they end up on one, two or three. But right now we have, you know, plenty of work to do and just um, keeping up with innovation that uh, it's, it's a ways down the road if it's going to happen at all. all. Right. All right. So I wanted to talk to you about the hookless design for road. But before I do that, Neil, um, is there anything I'm not asking, like some really geeky data or some something super interesting that you guys found out that we haven't already talked about? Um, no, not so much. I think what's, what's really interesting about this, Tyler, is the fact that, you know, for so many years we were getting, we're getting technology, consumers were getting technology from this trickle down from, from pro racing, right? Like that equipment that we got came through the pro ranks. Now with something like tubeless, it's something like our wheel line we've been offering nearly every single wheel in our line as, as tubeless ready, tubeless rims. Um, so this is something that consumers have had access to for a number of years now. And finally, it's the top level of the sport adopting it in their pursuit for the smallest gains they can continue making. And all of a sudden they're presented with, you know, five, five five watt reduction in rolling resistance. So it's something that they just cannot turn their back on anymore. But we've been in the fortunate position that as consumers, like this is technology that has been in front of us. Like someone can go buy tubeless tires tomorrow and put them on their rims and have the same benefit. So um, I think it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's always great seeing like what, what new innovation is happening from the pro side, but usually we don't, the rest of us don't get to benefit from it for a while. And with this, with tubeless specifically, like we can all benefit from it right now. Cool. Right on. All right. Let's talk rim design. So hookless for road, like it's, you know, obviously tires are still made with a hook and, you know, even mountain bike tires, even though hookless has kind of become, you know, not a hundred percent mainstream, but it's, it's out there in almost equal measure i think with any kind of hooked mountain bike rims still but road it's been it's kind of few and far between to find a real hookless road rim and the story i've heard is because you need at higher pressures you really kind of need a physical element holding that tire on for safety reasons but what's what's the story from the development standpoint you guys see i love this topic tyler and it's definitely a, <laughs> definitely a hot one and um We've been talking it a lot, not uh, talking about it a lot, not just, you know, today in this podcast, but I mean, even in the last three months, I've probably, we've probably fielded questions, whether it be interviews or podcasts or articles um, from nearly every major road publication because it is such a hot topic right now. And I think it's all coming to a head um, simply for the fact that uh, road tubeless is finally gaining real footing and it's um, a relatively new technology to so many people. I mean, as Neil, as we've been talking about, I mean, we're really, when Neil went to the test at Perry-Roubaix, I mean, I'd done the same test back in 2014, the winter, like, yeah, I believe it was December of 2014, 
um, maybe January 15 when I first went over when it was then uh, that was our first year with the with the pro team um, and uh, you know that was when we had the realization that like you know to your point that we discussed earlier sorry a little sidetrack like we're we're there at Perry Roubaix testing wheels just to see how envy would do in terms of like a quick um, you know acid test to see if our wheels were gonna hold up in the testing make sure nothing was glaringly wrong with the ride so we were doing lots of laps up and down the Arenberg to just ensure the durability and that was when the engineer and myself were sitting there talking about like man we're doing all this development all this testing all this work um for effectively 30 miles of a 160 mile race and that's where the old concept for ar came about was like well look we know we have to survive the cobble, so the teams are willing to put a 30 millimeter tire on a rim. Now it looks like an ice cream cone. Um, the aerodynamics are basically thrown out the window. So, you know, what can we do to develop a rim that preserves aerodynamics and achieves the high volume? So that's where the whole AR concept came to be. It was proven out in the wind tunnel, and it worked well. And so as we got into developing that rim, we said, well, okay, the, the pro team's not ready for clinchers yet. Um, we had the conversation with them there. They were interested even back then in 2015. And you can just sort of see how long it's kind of taking to get to the point where today they're like openly willing to race it uh, at a small sort of test level. And so we're excited to see how that goes. But I mean, it's been four years of every year basically having the conversation. And as we were developing that AR rim back in 14, 15, uh, we were looking at it saying, okay, from a consumer standpoint, you know, what is going to be the best experience? What is the, what is the room we actually want to ride? And it was like, well, first we're going to do tubeless optimization. And because the shape of the rim had di dictated that it was going to be quite wide um, for aerodynamics, it looked like the internal rim width would be 25 millimeters um, or somewhere therein. So that's where we netted out was 25 millimeters. Well, one of the big things that's really held road tubeless back for so many years has been the internal volume of the rim. So when you're trying to, Oh, and tire really. So in a world where we were, you know, 25 millimeter tires were just kind of getting, we're kind of on the big end for racers and 23 were still standard, like setting up a 23 millimeter tire tubeless is such a hard proposition. It's not user friendly at all. And that's really where that's kind of the wall that tubeless ran into, you know, back, you know, more than a decade ago when it was first basically introduced to the roadside. So you fast forward today, volumes increased tubeless is now much more user-friendly because you have larger rim volume internally. People are running 25, 28, 30, 32 millimeter tires. Another major win for tubeless being that, again, the more volume add, the more volume you add, the more user-friendly tubeless becomes. And so that leaves us to, okay, you know, and that's why Mountain was so quick to adopt and so successful is because from a you know, we dealt for many years with the ghetto tubeless setups and, you know, a lot of funky ways to take non-tubeless tires and make them tubeless. And we got away with a lot of shenanigans because um, the pressures were relatively low. And so we were never dealing with, you know, the pressures that we deal with on road tubeless. But fast forward today, you know, tubeless is mountain. Mountain is tubeless. There is no, uh, there's there are very few people in the world that are, would consider themselves serious mountain bikers who aren't running tubeless, right? Um, road is picking up steam quickly, uh, and it's more and more every year more people are running tubeless, and there's more questions about it. And there's still a pretty great misunderstanding about just how the tubeless system works or how it should work. Um, so I'm not 
so we, let's talk about hookless now. So what, we decided to go hookless for a couple reasons, and this comes down to um, people's understanding, or I guess the fear with hookless or the misunderstanding is that I don't think people really, or we consistently see that people don't really understand how tubeless works. Um, there's a, a large misconception in the world that um, a tubeless road tire achieves a sill uh, on the rim's hook bead, or in other words, that the only thing keeping a tire on the rim is a hook bead. And in a true tubeless system, that that hook bead, um, even in a two in a tubeless system, if the rim is has the right bead seat diameter, that hook bead is there as a fell safe, meaning it's there to uh, prevent a tire from coming off the rim in the case that the tire stretches off the rim's bead seat diameter. Um, so why hookless? This is complicated to have just in a conversation. It's much easier with like if you can draw on the board and have charts and graphs. But uh, so basically, how does tubeless work? Well, you have a diameter of the rim, so an internal ceiling, a, a diameter upon which the tire seals on the rim. So we call that the bead seat diameter of the rim. Um, and that is the shelf. So if you're you know looking at the cross section of the rim, you have in the middle, there's the center drop channel or the trough, and then it generally grows up to a little bump and then a flat shelf. And so that flat shelf in the tire bed of the rim is called the bead seat diameter. And so we opt to use a hookless design because it allows us to use machined metal tooling or molds to ensure that that diameter, that dimension of the rim is the same and consistent nearly 100% of the time. When I say nearly, I mean, if there ever is sort of a discrepancy, it's there's really not. It's, it's hard metal tooling, and we, we see that there's great consistency by doing that. If we are doing, so our other rims, like, so our standard SES line, our non-AR line has a hook bead in it still, and, and to mold those rims, we use a removable um, hard bladder, it's called, and because that hook bead would otherwise lock would lock the the mold into the rim because it's got those beads that go over the edges so you effectively lock a metal mold into the rim once you cured it so we have to use a pliable material to do a tubeless rim with hook beads um, so that you can remove the remove the mold or the bladder material um, after it's been cured and that's that's fine we're able to get um we're able to get fairly consistent uh, bead seat diameters out of that, but not anywhere near to the level of consistency and accuracy that we do in a hookless design. So um, when you're considering hook or when you're considering tubeless, hookless is simply a result of us, of our desire to have a rim that has a hundred percent consistent bead seat diameter every time. Um, so basically trying to take variability out of a system, that's, that's a big issue when you're talking about like, well, what's the purpose of a hook bead? Well, a lot of what a hook bead does is it solves the problem of variability. So without sort of overstep, and you can stop me with any questions you have. I know I'm just talking a lot here, but it's a lot. So, okay. So let's, let's just a set, set of variables straight. Let's say, okay, here's the bead seat diameter that more or less everybody's agreed upon. Um, it's been working, you know, here's the bead seat diameter, 
21.95 millimeters plus or minus. Um, and is that like the ETRTO so, standards or whatever governing body you like? The, is that the current universal standard? Yeah, so we could really go down the rabbit hole there, but um, without having it in front of me, and I'm not, you know, Clint, the Will and Clint's our <laughs> ETRTO expert, but um, 622, I believe, is what the mountain bike established etrto standard is for the rim widths whatever so like on the mountain side for 29 inch it's 622 um there is not an official i mean it's this is what a group is there's a committee and a group working on redefining this but yeah i was going to ask you about that because it's it's coming there's not it there's Hopefully. yeah there's not an official <laughs> etrto tubeless standard for the rim widths that people are making rims to today for road, so, for road. yeah for road. sorry for road so if anybody making a yeah so basically what we've all said is well this has been working on this 622 dimension it's been working um, i believe the dimension we mold all of ours to is 621 or 621.95 is the the dimension that's pretty typical or it falls within uh, the old standard that's been being used for a long time, as well as the future proposed standard that is, you know, when it becomes official, all our rims will already be um, in that, in the range. So it's, we're talking pretty subtle things. It's just more making it an official, uh, an official standard. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, the point is, is yes, let's say a rim is a moldable, the rim can be molded uh, by going hookless at a route, it allows us to mold to, whatever the defined ETRTO standard is and w or will become 100% of the time. So that's a, a fixed measurement, a fixed dimension on the rim required for tubeless performance. So then you go to the tire side of things and um, on tire side of things, it's, it's a very mixed bag in terms of what you get. So when you're looking at a tire, there's tires that um, have stiff beads, soft beads, stiff sidewalls, soft sidewalls. If you're and over the years, you know, in the pursuit of making really lightweight tires, um, hook beads became ever increasingly important because if the tire beads really light, uh, it's going to be likely more stretchy. So the invention of a hook bead was really great in a tube world where you got a tube, you've got an ultralight tire, and then the hook bead on the rim, um, you know, the tire stretches and seats into that hook bead and it does retain the tire on the rim. The hook bead was a functional part of tire retention. Um, in tubeless, where the tire is to be sealing on the on the tire bed of the rim, the hook bead is doing nothing unless the tire is stretching off the bead seat diameter and trying to blow off the rim, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, meaning there is no sealing surface. Your tire should never be sealing or achieving an airtight seal on the hook bead of the rim. Uh, that's where like in the old days of mountain biking where we would burp tires if you had a ghetto tubeless system or something like that burping was because you just push on the sidewall of the tire and you create a space and you'd, you'd allow air to escape between the hook bead and the tire because the tire wasn't sealing on a bead seat diameter it wasn't sealed on locked into place in a bead lock at the bottom of the rim like tubeless has evolved to today um so that's really that's sort of fundamental to understand is like a proper tubeless setup. And this is what is going on with your vehicle, like your cars, you, the cars people drive is 
it's a hookless rim and it has a bead seat diameter that's defined. And then there's a tire beads, there's a tire bead stiffness and diameter that's also defined. And those two surfaces have a press fit and they achieve a seal that, you know, is, is defined, right? Um, that's sort of the way we're moving on the bicycle side of things, but it's just taking time. And so in the interim, you know, that's a, what a lot of the work we've been doing is saying, hey, look, we and we and we, we believe in tubeless so much so that we're willing to um, paddle upstream in terms of rim design by going hookless on the road rims. Uh, so what does that mean as uh, for us as the wheel manufacturer? Well, that means that we need to uh, help our customers out in understanding what tires are up to snuff in terms of being able to maintain a seal as a tubeless tire should. So we basically took it upon ourselves to develop a test that tests um, that tests the tubeless tire to ensure that it will not blow off the rim at one and a half, as, so that it won't blow off the rim. So we wanted to create a list of tires that we know are safe to use that will provide a reliable tubeless setup. Yeah, and I think um, you guys published that a little while back, right? I mean, I'm pretty sure yeah, we covered always, that on our site as well. Yeah, so it's always being updated. But I think what's the takeaway here is that, so when we launched the 4.5 AR, that was the first hookless, tubeless, or hookless road rim we launched. That was in 2016. Um, when we launched that rim, there was, I mean, there was only one or two tires. There was two tires that we could confidently um, that we had experience with that we could confidently recommend to customers. Um, you know, fast forward basically four years later, we've established an official test that we have in house. Uh, we've over the years had situations where tires were identified that were unsafe um, based on, you know, honestly, customers feedback where a customer would call and say, Hey, I was riding this tire. I was pumping up this tire. And honestly, like, I, well, nine out of 10 times, if the tire was identified to have an issue, it was found like as somebody was setting it up tubeless or just in their garage or they'd come out in the morning, their tire wouldn't be on the rim. Um, <laughs> Surprise. And so we started, yeah. So, I mean, a little bit consumer feedback on a, and it turned out it was just a couple bad act or a couple bad tires. And, you know, so we, we were able to say, okay, well, there's these tires. Could there be more? So we developed a test and the test we developed is, is, it's fairly standard. Um, it's a it's a one. It's 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 modified slightly because of our rim has a max. So the rim itself has a max tire pressure in this case of 80 psi. And so what we said is, in order for a tire to qualify to be approved or recommended to be run on a hookless on a hookless NB rim, um, a, a 28 millimeter. Well, sorry, a, a tire needs to pass one and a half times its max pressure or the lowest max pressure of the system, meaning whether either the tire or rims, whichever between the tire and the rim has the lowest max pressure, that's the one that we go to one and a half times on. So if a tire is 100 PSI max and our rim's 80, we we call the max pressure that the tire has to go to 120 because that's um, half of 80 is 40 plus 80 is 120. So uh, that's the that's kind of the progression. Um, so when you're, we have this test. 
Well, Sorry, when, you're, when you're doing these, like as you've been doing these tests and testing more and more tires to add to your list, because obviously it's in your best interest. If people see their favorite tire on that list, they're more likely to buy your wheels, I would imagine. Um, so as you've done this, yeah, are sure. there some yeah. certain features of tires that either consistently pass or consistently fail that you've noticed? Yeah, that, so that's kind of what's really cool about this. So yeah, four years ago, we started doing these tests and we, we sort of just said, okay, well, like what, what should we do here to understand like what makes a tire safe for use on hookless and what you know eliminates it as a good option for tubeless. And obviously a tire blowing off the rim is the thing you want to avoid. So we said, okay, well, we need a blow off test. Um, you know, current procedures are basically say you, we want to, like a tire company is generally testing to one and a half times max pressure. Um, this wasn't on, like that's that's the, I believe that's the ISO safety recommendation or standard for a tire. And, and I'm probably totally wrong on that, but maybe it's just, but tire, tire manufacturers generally test to one and a half times the max pressure of the tire. Um, those tests are usually performed on whatever the ETRTO recommendation is. So generally it's gonna be like a 17 millimeter or in some cases a 15 millimeter internal rim width. And, you know, so they're they're going to one and a half X, whatever. So if it's a 100 PSI marked tire, they have to inflate their tire to 150 PSI, but that's going to be on a rim with a hook bead and a narrow inner diameter. So it's not gonna have anywhere near the volume that like our AR wheels are gonna have. So we said our AR wheels, the the weird thing here, you know, it's it's the thing that tire manufacturers aren't testing for. Um, so it's our responsibility to create a tire test for our rim. So our rim has a max, that rim has a max pressure rating of 80 PSI. And so any tire that has higher than an 80 PSI rating has to at least go to 120 PSI on that AR rim. So we started developing this test and we started testing tires. Um, the, the initial tests were inflated, let it sit overnight at its max pressure, um, measured in the morning to see what the dimensions are. We wanted to see how wide it was, how tall it was, and then, and then we would, uh, then we would take it to um, that one and a half times. And if it held pressure at the one and a half times its max pressure, um, it would go onto the approved recommended list. And if it blew off the rim in the progression from it, from say 80 to 100 PSI or wherever, like some tires would blow off at 50 PSI. Hmm. So if the tire blew off at all, it goes on the <clears throat> it goes on the not recommended list. And then that was sort of the initial. So then we started saying, hey, you know, this is interesting. Um, how can we improve the test? There's more of the story here. Like we need to understand what it is about these tires because we started talking to tire manufacturers and saying, you know, these are the results we're getting. Um, but they wanted to sort of know like what recommendations we might have or things we'd seen with other tires. And so we started thinking about it and we're like, well, there's clearly something that has to do with bead stiffness here that is, uh, you know, and, and at the time we were also, um, under the same umbrella with Mavic. So they had, they were, they're a tire manufacturer and had a lot of work here and they, we started talking to them and. You know, one of the things that was highlighted was, look, bead stiffness is a really important factor to uh, tubeless tire performance. Um, so we developed a test. Uh, well, Mavic had developed a test for testing bead stiffness. They showed us what they'd done. We we took it and modified it um, or created a sort of an updated version of the test for testing bead stiffness that works on the equipment we have here where it was 
digitized. We could, you know, collect data more readily off of it. And we started collecting bead stiffnesses from all these tires we were testing. And then we started reaching out to tire manufacturers and um, some tire manufacturers started reaching out to us. And we have over the course of the last three years really started to build a pretty um, excellent database of, of tubeless road tires and how they measure on our rims and how they stretch and what their bead stiffnesses are. And from that, we began to identify that, well, in this grouping here, we can see that all these tires pass the pass the blow-off test on a hookless rim without problems. And oh, all their bead stiffness just so happened to be within this within this this range of stiffness. Yeah, explain and, explain bead stiffness. Is that different than stretch? Uh, no, not really. Okay. No, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, it's okay. just the, the so I mean, a tire manufacturer also has the requirement to. Uh, well, I should say requirement. Um, they're designing a tire to also that same dimension that we talked about earlier. Say, we'll say it's 621.95. Um, they're, so depending on the tire manufacturer and their philosophy, some are really focused on making a bead that's just, you know, the, making a bead that's stretchy enough to make it easier to remove the tire. And others are, um, you know, making stiffer beads or they're using different materials and like i think i mean there's there's there are literally dozens of different bead materials and sort of philosophies around what to make a, a bead out of and i think what we're seeing is that's um well if if our list is any indicator tire manufacturers are not well they are aware of the need to build a stiffer bead uh, regardless of whether a rim has a hookless or hooked bead or not, because again, tubeless only works if the tire is sealing on the rim's bead seat diameter. If it stretches off of that, it it is not properly sealing and it, it creates risk for burping and again, like other dimensional sort of weirdness that can happen with the tire and rim interface. So it's really um, important that those dimensions that a tire manufacturer and the rim manufacturer designed to are being held. And again, the rim is fixed. Like once a carbon rim is cured and it's molded with, like, like I said, the hookless rims are molded with machine metal tooling, the bead state diameter is fixed. Um, so that's where, you know, once you start putting different tires on, some tires blow off, some tires don't. And we start to see that the bead stiffness or the stretchiness of the bead, or in some cases, the stretchiness of the tire's casing um, can lead or lend to blow off. And so from there, we've had a lot of conversations with a variety of tire manufacturers or a, 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 a lot of different tire manufacturers. And we're seeing as the years go on that air almost, I mean, today, most of the new tires that are being produced, like when, so we're, we're constantly bringing new tires in or tire manufacturers are sending us new tires to test. and. And, you know, back in 2016, 17, even into 18, I would say, I mean, it was basically only about a third of the tires that we brought in from anyone to test would pass. And today it's probably closer to like 80% of the tires we bring in pass. Cool. So it's clear that everybody's sort of moving in the right direction. Um, and uh, I mean, that's sort of hookless in a really convoluted nutshell, but it's, <laughs> There, there's just so many factors there, right? Like I see, I read the forums and I see the comments and, um, you know, it's just, I think as people begin to understand and 
learn more about tubeless and the technology and the performance it brings and they get more comfortable just understanding how the system works it's there's less like voodoo witchcraft going on about whether a tire stays on the rim or not like i i read comments that from people that you know it, it it's almost like they believe it's just like sheer happen chance whether or not a tire will stay on a rim or not and it's not necessarily the case like we're getting to the point now where we can you know the communication lines are we've worked really hard to keep the communication lines open between us as a rim manufacturer and the tire manufacturers to you know have these conversations because it's in everybody's best interest that you know tubeless that people have access to tubeless performance and that those you know that people can put their rims you know they they can install and uninstall tires that they can change a flat if they need to and we're all basically you know sort of on the same page and working towards the same goal of um you know a safe and better ride experience all right on so i i got two kind of two quick questions um okay one about tires one about rims so do you anticipate and if so like how quickly uh the rest of your road rims moving to a hookless design so for us it um really comes down to a volume thing initially so the all the development and the tire testing we've been doing has been really focused on the ar line because it's the one that's live and shipping and in market and it's critical that you use a 28 millimeter tire volume to a 28 millimeter labeled tire range to uh you know get the aero performance and everything so that that rims hookless we've done all the We've done the testing. Um, we've done the testing on all the tires we can, and that are in that 28 to 32 millimeter range, and that's really been where the focus has been. As of late, we've transitioned um, into testing tires in lower volume range, so more of the 25, um, 25, 26 millimeter range tires, and we're actually seeing really positive results there. And on the same rims, though, on the AR rims. Uh, yeah, so we have some test rims that are like, so we have, we have some dummy rims built the, a variety of different internal rim widths. So we have some 21s some 23s. When we did the original AR development, we were testing, um, we weren't just looking at aerodynamics. We were also testing for rolling resistance and, uh, whatever. So we have rims that are 19, 21, 23, and 25 internals. And so, yeah, we've been testing like 25s on um, some hookless rims that are 21 millimeter internals. So that's kind of been our, that's where we draw the line and that's where our opinion lies as far as like what, uh, what's sort of the right inner rim width from an arrow standpoint for yeah. like that 25 millimeter volume tire. So that's where we've kind of been testing, uh, some tires now in that range. Now that the pressure on the 28 to 32 range is, is lightened slightly. Um, cause we have a, we have a pretty long list now. I mean, more than likely, if you go and visit our tire page, you're going to see the tire that you love and want to ride on the list. If you're looking for a 20 millimeter tire to put on an AR rim, like most of the major players and all the big tires are listed there now. Um, so now we're, we're having a little bit more bandwidth to delve into a little more kind of development on sort of hookless at lower volume. And I don't, time will tell. Yeah. Um, well, if I were to read between the lines, I would tell. say it's probably what's coming. 
I mean, if you look at like the giant rims, I mean, with the Kadex, whatever that those rims are called, I mean, they're they're hookless and they're a narrow, low volume. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think it's coming. It's it makes sense from a manufacturing standpoint, both from a, an efficiency standpoint as well as a a product and a performance standpoint. I mean, it's 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 just a it's a better way to do a tubeless rim, and um, you know, that's. I, 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 I'd imagine that, you know, many of the other manufacturers are well on their way to that direction. So, right on. so from a tire standpoint, and I know you guys don't make tires, but this, with all of this in mind, you know, bead stiffness is one thing, but there's still a bead shape. Does, do you see or do you consult with tires? tire manufacturers on the bead shape? Like, does that, do you see that changing to work even better with a uh, hookless design? Um, there, there's definitely some different philosophies on the shape, but it hasn't been anything that we've really been able to hone in on as far as like uh, whether the tire stays retained or not, which has really been where the focus has been. It's, it, but yeah, I mean, we definitely have some, um, ideas and different uh, manufacturers do it differently, but it, it seems to be a slightly less uh, critical aspect. It seems to be more important that whatever the rubber is that's wrapping the bead um, sort of has a consistency, that it be consistent in its uh, wall thickness around the bead and that it be somewhat compliant, you know, a soft enough or a compliant enough compound to conform into the shape, uh, into the shape of the rim at that, um, inner interface. All right, cool. Right on guys. Well, I appreciate your time. It was, uh, this was probably a bigger conversation than you were expecting to have on this because, uh, the, the premise of the call originally was just the, the testing with the team and stuff. So I appreciate you sticking with it and kind of giving us a deeper look into the whole hookless thing. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, just to throw it back to you guys, we did that uh, ask a stupid question thing Yeah. a while ago. We'll put links to that to in the show notes, yeah. Yeah, go ahead and reference that, because I think there were quite a few questions around hookless that I prob- that there were probably more eloquent answers that were written <laughs> and probably a little easier to digest reading rather than listening to the rambling that it's, I've gone on for last You had a little time to prepare for that one, kind of put you on the <laughs> spot here. But yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, just the takeaway I think is, you know, people don't need to be afraid of hookless. Um, tubeless in the world is designed around hookless rim shapes, everything from automobiles, motorcycles, airplanes. I mean, everything operates in a hookless world with the exception of bike and <clears throat> bikes are a little behind the time, but I think we're coming around and we're seeing a lot of really good collaboration between rim and tire manufacturers. And we've been met with nothing really, I mean, we've been met with nothing but positive um, uh, positive feedback and and when we when we talk to the tire manufacturers and so it's really encouraging and I think you know again it's it's just a matter of time before this this question of hookless or not and what tires are safe or not is just going to be something we look back on and remember you know remember when tubeless was pretty new to road and you know five years from now or whatever it is everybody's going to be buying whatever tire they want with whatever rim they want and and stoked on tubeless so cool it's a bright future <laughs> awesome yeah well, thanks for having us tyler yeah thank you yeah, thanks tyler hey thanks a ton for listening if this is the first bike remember podcast you've checked out 
be sure to look at the list of interviews we've done. We, this is a little bit different than what we do on the site. It's not so tech focused as it is more people and story focused. So it's a little bit different than the usual coverage on bikerumor.com. If you like it, hit subscribe, leave us a review, tell a friend about it. That's what helps us grow and get more amazing guests for you. Till next time, stay safe out there and keep the rubber side down.